Welcome to the Agile Book Club Podcast, where we hang out and talk shop with the authors whose ideas are shaping the Agile landscape. Here is your host, Paul Clip. Hello and welcome to the first episode of 2024. It's a new year, a new season of the podcast, and it's time for New Year's resolutions. And with that in mind... I met Milos Beltovic last year when he was a speaker at the ACE conference. Subtle plug there. He was a great speaker. Go back and and watch the talk. I'll link to it in the show notes to make it easy for you. He is a product manager, and he did something that I think is very clever. You know, all of us in the agile and product communities are focused on personal development. It's it's it goes with the job. We're never good enough. I mean, we're all good enough. You're good enough. I'm good enough, but we're not as good as we could be. And if we were the same people a year from now that we are today, we wouldn't be good at our jobs. There's just too much to know, too much to learn. We could always be better. That's part of the fun. That's part of the appeal of this kind of work. And and I I really enjoy what Milos does in this book. He writes about how he has applied product management techniques and tools to his own life to make his life the best product it can be. And that's why I think it's a great fit for our first episode of 2024. So if you haven't made your New Year's resolution yet, maybe you'll get some inspiration from my interview with the author of Build Your Way, Milos Belcevic. All right, so first... Could you tell us a little bit about the background? How did this book come to be? That's a good question. For the last few years, I've been working a lot in product and learning how to work better. And in parallel, I was trying to find ways personally or like how to live better. But somehow it was as if I had two brains or two separate worlds of work and life. And then... Suddenly, I realized at work, I use all these frameworks and tools and practices, and it's like I forget them in personal life. So I was thinking, wow, how could I apply this useful stuff that I do to personal life? And that's how the idea for the book came out. So how long have you been experimenting with applying product management techniques to your personal life? I would say three or four years. And the book itself, it took me one year to write. And then, so you wrote this book largely as a result of your own experiences. Who did you have in mind as an audience when you were writing? Who were you writing for? I think the audience is really broad, like general people interested in improving their life, but also, of course, agile community and uh, people who work in product. However, the book is written in a very like introductory level so you don't need to be a product manager you you don't need to know these principles from before to learn them and use them what has the reception been so far what kind of feedback are you getting about the book it's been quite positive i didn't get uh, a lot of feedback but i got some reviews on amazon that were very positive and i heard from friends and people who read it, that they liked it. And it's interesting that I I did like a small experiment. 
So I was writing in public. So while the book was coming up, I started a newsletter. So I sent out pieces of the book to get early feedback from the readers. And I think it was also very meaningful for the process. Interesting. I have just experimented with that myself. I, I worked on a book last summer and I took a different approach inspired by Alan Kelly, which was to write the book using LeanPub and to invite reviewers to give me feedback as I went. And I found it to be a really tricky process because I would write and I'd be happy with what I've written. And then the feedback would cause me to reconsider whether I should have written that whole chapter at all. And I found it difficult to separate the actionable feedback that would allow me to, to tweak my intentions and the feedback that caused me to wonder whether I should be writing at all. <laughs> Did you get any of that? No, I didn't. Maybe it was a bit different because this was a newsletter, so it, it wasn't like a real book chapter out there. It was more like just testing out the ideas. And I see. And newsletters that resonated well found their way into the book and newsletters that didn't, didn't find their way into the book? Yeah, but mostly, I would say most of the things, but it's very tricky because when you get positive feedback, I'm always like thinking I should receive some negative feedback as well, or I should get some. So I'm suspicious and conscious about like, what am I missing? But usually like it went well with the audience at least. So, but it's not a huge audience also, like maybe 100, 150 people. Well, it's it certainly, there's the opt-in bias. You probably didn't have any enemies subscribed to your newsletter. It's not quite the mom test, but at the same time, it's people who are already positively inclined towards you and don't want to disappoint you or hurt your feelings. So I can certainly see that. I'm going to talk about some of the specifics because um, to some extent, as I'm reading this as a person with experience in product, it reads at times like the glossary of empowered because you cover all of them all of the basic product management tools and frameworks that any product manager should be expected to know are organized in this book one by one with a section for each one which is a lot and and the first thing i've got to ask is have you really experimented with trying all of these ideas in your personal life? Or are you encouraging people to pick and choose what seems to resonate with them? I would definitely encourage people to pick and choose what resonates with them. There's really a lot, as you said. So, And I think also like this mind and approach of experimentation would work here as well. It's better to run small experiments and try some pieces than try to incorporate everything right away. So let's start start high level. It occurred rather late in the book, but I think it's it's pretty foundational and that is this concept of applying a north star metric. Cuz a north star metric is more than just a metric, it's a question of of what the fundamental value is, what the most important thing is. Is that fair to say? Yeah. And any good product starts with a vision. You've got to have that one thing, that one thing. And the North Star metric is associated and aligned with the vision. It's like, if this trigger is moving, if this needle is moving, then we're coming closer to our vision. But a human life is more complex than a product. And as we move through the world, 
we're trying to solve more problems for a more diverse group of stakeholders than a product is designed to do. Ideally, a product has minimal North Star metrics, but a person, a person can't decide, you know what, I'm going to optimize for my job, not my wife or vice versa. You can make that decision. So how do you come up with a meaningful set of North Star metrics that is still manageable? I think you should think of the areas that are important for your life. So you have your wife, you have job, you have personal health, finance, and then try to limit to like three or four areas. And then choose a North Star for each area. And what's a good example? Let's say, for example, um, say my, my relationship with my wife is very important to me. And I want it to, well, here's, here's a, a lagging indicator, good example of a lagging indicator. I would like to celebrate our 50th anniversary at some point, 25 years to go. But a lagging indicator is not all that useful for guiding my improvement as a husband over the course of the next quarter. What kind of North Star metric might I be, or what might I be considering as a North Star metric for evaluating my performance and personal development as a husband? I would say, you know, talk with your wife and then try to see from her perspective as a stakeholder. <laughs> How does she feel like with your relationship on a, for instance, given day or a week? And then you can say a number of positive weeks versus uh, less positive weeks. So a North Star metric might be something along the line of um, more positive weeks in the next quarter than we had in the last quarter? Yeah. Okay. Another foundational concept is um, the double diamond. And I think the double diamond might be a particularly useful one, especially for people who are not experienced with product work, because it does something that makes perfect sense in a product space, but isn't necessarily as intuitive in our personal lives. In our personal lives, I think it's very common to see opportunities as things that come singularly and things that demand binary choices. So for example, I've got a job, it's a fine job, and one day, out of the blue, unexpectedly, I get a job offer which is better. And at that moment, as a result of being faced with this binary choice, take it or leave it, I realize that I'm not as satisfied with my current job as I could be. Now, a non-product person might say, well, this is a binary moment. I have to choose to take this other job offer or to not take this other job offer and persist in my current career. But the double diamond invites us to, once we've identified a, a challenge or a problem, to not rush to conclusions. So what might I do with this realization that perhaps I'm not as satisfied with my current job as I could be? before rushing to the only decision that I happen to have on the table at the moment. As you mentioned, I, I think that's the point and like trying not to rush it 
and trying to better understand yourself and your uh, needs and why why am i not maybe satisfied or why i was thinking i was satisfied until very recently so i think uh, trying to diverge in understanding and different root causes that might be like underlying uh, is a great step i wanted to help out our, our listeners a little bit and, and give them an idea of what this might look like so convergent thinking might be lay all the options on the table i persist in my current career or i i take this job offer divergent thinking is all right so i've got the thing that I have right now, the place where I am right now, is in a career which is not as fulfilling as it could be. And I know it's not as fulfilling as it could be because there's this other thing which is tempting me. And as a product person, we'd look into the problem space, an exploration of the problem space, right? Which is, in this case, what is it that I want out of a job? Why do I have a job in the first place? What could I be doing instead of having a job? Are there other possible sources of satisfaction in life? Do I have to get that kind of satisfaction from, from a job or can I get it from other places? I'm trying to role play what um, a group of product people having a conversation which is driven by divergent thinking might be doing in their heads or might be doing in the conversation. Because not all of these, all of our listeners, we've got a lot of agilists in, in the um, listening audience, and then not as many product people. So the idea of putting solutionizing aside in the interests of delving into a problem space might be a new idea for them. So what does, if the problem space is, I have dissatisfaction in my career, how do we explore that? Let's put it this way. As a product person, if you were talking to a potential customer about their experience with trying to find satisfaction in their career. What kind of questions might you ask them to explore this space? I think the way you started is brilliant. So thinking about like, what is satisfaction for me? And do I need it from the job? And what is the job? It sounds a bit silly or it could be counterintuitive but to question everything and also question the meaning of the things that we take for granted like concepts such as job satisfaction pleasure meaning and so on so i, I would start there and then try to uh, dig deeper and so what i might end up with at the end of of this thought process is something more like, um, as opposed to having to choose to take this job and leave my current job or not, I might realize that there are aspects of this job offer that really appeal to me. Like, for example, it involves a lot more coaching and supporting other people, and maybe that's something I'm missing in my current career, but it's something that I could explore doing. That could lead to lead to a conversation with my boss about expanding my responsibilities and maybe taking on some, some more line management or some more coaching and more nurturing opportunities in my career. Or it might be that the only thing that appeals to me is the money. 
it might be that I'm really motivated by money and I'm not in a good place right now in terms of, of my feelings of stability financially. And so I might come up with other ways to augment my income. So I like my current job, but I want more money. And so I start a side business as a, as a blogger because I've got a lot of things to say. If you have this kind of double diamond approach to identifying and solving problems, it forces you to step back from the immediate trigger and really expand your perspectives before you close in on a solution. Another tool that resonated with me, you were talking about, and I got to admit, this is something I hadn't come across before, and that is this Amazon working backwards approach. I'd like you to walk me through this, because when I was reading about working backwards from an Amazon standpoint, that might be write the press release. Yes. So Amazon launches this fabulous new product, which transforms the industry and creates a whole new class of, of uh, product. And the public is, is in awe and everything, everyone is, is wowed and it's bringing in billions of dollars. My first thought was, and this goes back to my childhood, pre-internet. People think that social media has imposed a lot of stress to compete on people, that we see only the best of other people's lives. And this is, is a source of intense dissatisfaction for a lot of people. But those of us who remember the time before the internet, remember we used to have something like this too. It was called the Christmas letter. Everybody had one person, at least one person in their family, who every Christmas sent out the same letter to everyone in the family, bragging about all of their accomplishments, the wonderful vacations they went on, their children's accomplishments at school, their career accomplishments, all rosy and positive. If they were some, a very close family member, then yeah, you might feel warm and fuzzy. But there are always those who, who were just, oh, come on. Oh, come on. That's not a life. That's a Hallmark special. And the internet is, has just, I think, compounded this and made it part of our daily experience. But that's what I thought of. And especially being in the holiday season right now and with with New Year's coming up, in fact, this episode's coming out on New Year's Day, I was thinking that's how I would do, how I would apply this working backwards. I would write a Christmas letter to my family, not the ones I care about, the ones I don't care about so much. I would write a Christmas letter to my family bragging about the wonderful holidays that my family had in 2024, about how my career soared in 2024, the books that I published in 2024, my son's accomplishments in school and, and such. And that's all well and good. There's a lot to be said for having a vision. People with a vision are much more likely to accomplish it than not. But the process you describe is much more specific and complex. Having written that letter about all of my accomplishments, the books I'm going to write, the, the new clients I'm going to get, the wonderful holidays that we're going to have, my son's accomplishments in school, et cetera. If I'm applying the Amazon working backwards process, what do I do next? How do I make that a reality over the course of 2024? In the book, there's like, I took parallels from how they do it and everything. But the best step is to see and 
take out actionable smaller steps that can lead to those goals. So all the books I wrote or all the places we visited. So then those are two actionable items that we have. And then we can try and see, like, go backwards from the end. I have written a book. What does that mean? So I need a topic. I need et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And then start building up some maybe add KPIs in the game and try to be measurable and accountable to the goal. And then I think maybe I really love, and it's it's the season of holidays, and this is the, the time I heard about the Christmas letter. So I really like the metaphor, but maybe it's also a bit wide. Maybe it could be one letter for a book, one letter for son's success in the school, etc., just to make it a bit more doable on the practical side. But they really loved the example. It's really nice. So focus. Yeah. Yeah. So now that you've listened to the first half of my interview with Milos Belcevic, I'm going to let you in on a little secret. When we recorded this interview, he and I were both sick. I was getting over some sort of a nasty head cold, and he was getting over COVID. And as a result, the interview was was a, a bit lower energy than I I usually have for these. We were both doing our best, but our best was just not not our A game that day. And I decided, partially because the holidays were coming up, and and I wanted to give myself a little bit of a treat. You know, I edit all of the podcasts. There's there's only been one exception. There was one episode years ago that, that we had sound issues and I hired a recording engineer to help fix the issues. And I decided just to give myself a bit of a break, I would give it another shot. I would I would hire a a professional to edit this interview. And I told the person I hired, he's he's a, a an editor, a, a an audio editor based in Brazil, and he did such a good job. I'll put a link to his Fiverr in the show notes because he deserves it. Uh, I told him what happened. I told him that me and my guest were both sick, and so so the interview just doesn't have kind of the energy that I, I'm usually going for. And uh, he said, well, let me see what I can do. And not only did he do a great job editing the interview and, you know, tightening it up and taking out the ahs and ums and pauses and that sort of thing and and making it run nicely, but (laughs) I thought this was brilliant. Um, He said, you know, I noticed that you were speaking really slowly and, and that the energy level wasn't so high. And so I punched it up a little bit by speeding up your voices. And so I didn't want to tell you that before you listened to it because you might be, be focusing too much on that. But I, if you want to go back and listen to, to the actual interview, that's what was happening. Um, the actual interview was, was slower than what you just heard. So he sped up our voices and, and then evened out the tone. So he still sounded the same as we usually do, just speaking faster than we actually were, were in the conversation. And I thought it was just brilliant. So I'm going to be using this guy again. He was wonderful. Now, you can look forward to the second half of this interview. And now you know what you know. You'll, you'll be listening for it in the second half in two weeks on the 15th of January. 
And so if you want to read the book before the second half of the interview, I'll put a link in the show notes to get it. It's a short book. You can read it in a few hours. And, uh, and I think one of, the, one of the really nice things about this book, one of the things I like about this book, is that if you are a product manager, these tools will be familiar to you. And so you might take some interest in how he applies them and where he applies them to improving his life. But if you're not a product manager, and this is where I think the book really shines, it introduces you to the whole basic toolkit of a product manager. Now, knowing a toolkit does not make you proficient with them. You have to use them. And how do you get practice using a tool except for on the job, right? Breaking into product management can be a really rough thing to do. And so if you want to have some stories and some experience that you can bring to a job interview for your first associate or intern product management role, then what better product to work on than yourself? You're right there and nobody can tell you you can't do it. So use the tools on yourself and then you can talk about how you've used the tools. And while you're using the tools on yourself, you can think about how you might be using them with products. So anyway, that's, that's a fun experiment to do. I, I recommend you get the book. But I would also recommend that if you want to read ahead for next month, get started now. Because I know that the January book, it's, a, it's basically a self-help book. It's pretty lightweight for for our audiences and and so I wanted to balance it out a bit and so I picked up a pretty heavy book for February you might want to get started now it's by Steve Tendon and the title of the book is The Book of Tame Flow Theory of Constraints Applied to Knowledge Work Management I think this is going to get into some math it basically picks up where Dan Vacanti's actionable agile metrics for predictability leaves off there's going to be math in here, um, but what I think is most interesting, and this is kind of where I've, uh, where my thinking has been going of late, I am increasingly frustrated with the framework wars or the kind of dogmatic embrace of frameworks that is so common in our industry. People take one framework, they learn it or they don't learn it, and it becomes their thing, and then it's the greatest thing. They are the 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 X person and X is a solution to everything and if X isn't solving your problems then you're doing X wrong and what I like about this industry is that it attracts intelligent people we haven't cracked all of this yet we haven't figured out the best way of doing everything yet and even if we have figured out the best way of doing something it only works in that context it won't work the same way in a different context. We have to always be thinking, experimenting. That's why the first line of the Manifesto for Agile Software Development is, we are uncovering better ways of developing software by doing it and by helping others to do it. We are uncovering better ways. That hasn't changed. That was written 20 years ago. We're still uncovering better ways. And so I'm finding myself far more interested in tools and mindsets that can lead to insights that can make software development better in any context. And, and that's exactly what I'm expecting to get from this book. I've had it for a long time. I've been putting off reading it. Frankly, I'm a little intimidated by it. 
but I think it's going to be absolutely brilliant. I'm really looking forward to talking to the author, Steve Tendon, about it. And uh, I've started reading it. I'm about 50 pages into it. I'm very much enjoying it. I can already recommend it. I think it's going to be brilliant. And, uh, and I'm really looking forward to talking to the author and sharing that with you in February. So thank you so much for being with me today. And uh, we'll talk again in two weeks. And have a wonderful 2024.